0: Let's turn for our text to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And the last uh, part, or 1 Corinthians chapter 6 it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, I want to begin reading with verse 19. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I felt led to bring this message for a number of reasons at this time, because there are questions around and problems that have been developed possibly a message from the pulpit can strengthen us and help us in. But in the last few years, there has been a great breakdown in the morals of young people generally. And it has been reflected in our own community, in our own church, and on every hand. We are witnessing a terrific, Broadside against the youth of this nation in the kind of literature and the kind of stories, the kind of television programs, kind of discussions, particularly in this realm of sex. And this past week, the New York Times carried a big story, big front page story, or, or not a front page, but a headline across a full page on sex education private schools are wary but their pupils are outspoken. A recent sampling of opinion at New York private schools indicates that they are making haste slowly on the question of sex education. The schools are reviewing programs where they exist or discussing what form a program of sex education might take. A rise in pregnancies and venereal diseases among teenagers And pressures from the college led the National Association of Independent Schools to promote new concepts in sex education among its 750 member schools last year. And then it goes on, and uh, they quote freely some of the responses from the children, the young people. If the adults are loath to speak out at this juncture, students are not. Sex education today is not at all adequate. It's too little, too late, a 17-year-old boy at the new Lincoln School said. I'm against it, a 14-year-old boy at Friends Seminary. They'll only turn it over to some social worker or guidance counselor who'll just mess it up. I think sex education should be co-education with someone young teaching it who is willing to answer any questions, that a 15-year-old pupil at a certain school. It should be interesting, not a boring course, and should include subjects like contraception, venereal diseases, and abortion. And then we move on to some of these other... I believe in sex before marriage, she said but only if there's a strong emotional feeling, like if you were engaged to someone. I don't know if I'll be able to hold out, another girl said frankly, but right now I'm filled more with curiosity than with desire. Well, I'm not going to read any more of this, except that we're constantly confronted with it in our papers. Accompanying this is the so-called situation ethics of Harvey Cox and of Bishop Robinson, the New Morality. And the idea of the situation ethics, as it's coming now through these church circles, is that there are certain situations in which it's all right for a married man, though he is married and though he has a wife, to go outside the bounds of the marriage vow, and to have uh, immoral relations. The idea also is that in the case of certain young people, while they're in college or long engagements and other things, that uh, in such situations as these, why they can make the judgment on on the moment in which they find themselves as to whether they will engage in what has previously been condemned. Now, before I get into all this, I want to also say that accompanying this is a a drive of all manner of pornographic literature, and even in the area of what some like to call good literature, which is supposed to be studied in high school and in college. You're getting all of this filth with bedroom scenes and intimate discussions of all that go with uh, what we describe and what the Bible calls illicit relations. And in all these areas, the uh, assault is upon the heart and the mind and the stability of our youth. And there's a reason why our young people are losing their morals and giving up their standards. They're simply being flooded. There's a reason why there is this breakdown at the present time, and it is that the standards which God has set for us and which we seek to honor as Christians are no longer being recognized or defended. We no longer have the Bible in school anymore. We no longer have these things as standards before us. And with clergymen and church leaders talking about new morality and the situation ethics, that's all young people want for a justification to go beyond the bounds that God has decreed for us. Now, beloved, as I get into this subject, I want to set before you first tonight one great glorious truth. God made man, and God has ordained the order by which we should live together. That's not for us to set. God has done it. In the beginning he made them male and female. Made he them. Sin has entered the human race. And in the perversion which sin has brought, one of the places where it's so aggravated is in the lust of the heart and in these relationships which men and women have together. It's in that field that the aggravation has been so pronounced and so uh, multiplied among the race here below. Now when you get into the question of redemption and we've been saved and now we become the children of God and we come back to the laws of God and we have some standards and then the New Testament tells us as my text tonight, you don't belong to yourself. Your body doesn't belong to you. You've been purchased. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, you glorify God in your body. Therefore, you glorify God in your spirit. And then in that great passage in 2 Corinthians, where we're to come out and be separate, therefore having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, and let us perfect holiness in the fear of God. And the Christian, The Bible-believing Christian, the redeemed man or woman, the young person who's come to know the Lord Jesus Christ has certain standards and certain commitments and certain obligations laid upon him by the Lord Jesus Christ in which he delights, in which he delights. I uh, am emphasizing the reading of this Bible through like I am. Because there are so many things in this book that you never get a chance to talk about on Sunday. There's so many things in this book you never get a chance to read from the pulpit. There's so many, many things in this book. And if you'll just read it, if you'll just take it and read it through, you'll run into them as you come along. And when you run into some of these things, you'll say, well, now, I didn't quite understand that. I'll ask some questions about it, maybe. But there are so many things in this Bible that relates to the impurities, to the lusts of the flesh, and to this particular area of the relationship of the sex. And may I say to all of you young people listening to your pastor tonight, If you will read the Bible through and take what the Bible says about these things, you've got all you need to know so far as right and wrong is concerned. It's here. And it's just as plain and just as clear as anything can possibly be. I think of the 22nd chapter of Deuteronomy. I've been dealing with Deuteronomy. Last Wednesday night I I dealt with another passage, the 27th chapter where the plainest of language is used, where a man is not to lie with this woman and this man or this woman's not to lie with this sister or these relationships are all spelled out there just as clear as can be. Will you turn with me to the 22nd chapter of, uh, of Deuteronomy for just a moment? And you see these tremendous standards that are here in this Old Testament and, of course, the same ideals of purity are carried over in the New Testament without any question whatsoever because they relate to the Ten Commandments. But in this uh, 22nd chapter of Deuteronomy, turn down verse 22. Now let me read this to you. If a man be found lying with a woman, married to a husband, then they shall both of them die. Now this is the new morality. Here's a woman, that's married to a husband, and lo and behold, she's off with some other man. And that situation is going on in our life more and more, especially since women have gone into the secular world and they're working in offices on every hand, and tremendous temptations and pressures are put upon women today. Married women working in other offices and coming in contact with other men. If a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband, Then they shall both of them die, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman. So shalt thou put away evil from Israel. Now verse 23, but if a damsel, that is a virgin, be betrothed to an husband, and a man find her in the city and lie with her, Then ye shall bring them both out unto the gate of the city, and ye shall stone them with stones that they die. The damsel, because she cried not, being in the city. And the man, because he hath humbled his neighbor's wife, so shalt thou put away evil from among you. But if a man find a betrothed damsel in the field, and the man force her, literally the Hebrew is, take strong hold of her and lie with her, then the man only that lay with her shall die. But unto the damsel thou shalt do nothing. There is in the damsel no sin worthy of death. For as when a man riseth against his neighbor and slayeth him, even so is this matter. For he found her in the field, and the betrothed damsel cried, and there was none to save her. Now, beloved, you read through this book of Deuteronomy, you find case after case, and they're spelled out in specific cases. And it has to do with the strict standard of the word in this great commandment, Thou shalt not commit adultery. All right, turn over to Proverbs chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. And I would be willing to say tonight, and I've said it many, many times, that all in the world the young people of my church need to do is to read the book of Proverbs. You just read the book of Proverbs. You'll be all right. Tells you all about it. It's all here. Tells you what God thinks about these things and how God condemns these things. All right, in the fifth chapter... Well, I guess we better not read the 5th chapter, the 6th chapter. It's full of these things all the way through. Turn, take me down to the 7th chapter. Let's read this one. My son, keep my words, and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments, and live, and my law as the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers. Oh... Uh, Verse 4, Say unto wisdom, Thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger that flattereth thee with her words. For at the window of my house I looked through my casement and beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youth a young man void of understanding passing through the street near her corner. And he went the way of her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. She is loud and stubborn, her feet abide not in her house. Now is she without, now in the streets, and lieth and wait at every corner. So she caught him, and kissed him, and with an impudent face said unto him, I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. I'm a good woman. Therefore come I forth. came I forth to meet thee diligently to seek thy face, and I found thee. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linens of Egypt, full of culture and learning, ladies and gentlemen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves, for the good man is not home. He has gone a long journey. He hath taken the bag of money with him and will come back at the day appointed. This is the new morality. This is the new morality in the book of Proverbs. Just as plain as anything can be. Here's a woman, she's got a husband and he's off on a trip and now she's going out here making love with some other man. He goes after her, uh, verse uh, 21. With her much fair speech she caused him to yield with the flattering of her lips. He forced him. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasteth to a snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways, Go not astray in her paths, for she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. You run through these various passages of the Bible, and you see all this terrific condemnation. Terrific condemnation. Now will you turn with me to 1 first, first Corinthians, the 6th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. Turn in it to oh, this whole section here. Chapters 6 and 7 are exceedingly important chapters dealing with these questions in the most direct and in the most beautiful way. Verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, here it is, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. This is homosexuality. Or abusers of themselves with mankind. Homosexuality. We're being told today that it's purely a a psychological disturbance that causes these things. God says it is none of the kind. You're, You're guilty of sin or thieves, or covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Such were some of you. Some of you folks committed adultery. Some of you folks are guilty of fornication. Some of you folks have been involved in this sort of thing. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Now let's go on down a little further, this same sixth chapter. Verse 13, Meats for the belly and the belly for meats. God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication but for the Lord. Oh, we come to this body in which we dwell. This is the vessel which we occupy. We're in it. The body is not for fornication but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Beloved, since you have become a child of God, your body is not yours. It belongs to God and it's for him and it's not for you. Now, and God hath raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power. Here's the resurrection of Christ, and this power of the resurrection of Christ enters in now to direct us, to control us, to give us strength. Know ye not that your bodies are the member of Christ? Shall I then take the member of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? Oh, you Your body belongs to Christ. Shall you get outside in this new morality? Shall you young people get into this situation, ethics? Shall you be willing to break these barriers that God has defined and outlined and ordained for the welfare of the human race? Do you mean to say you'll take that situation in your hand and do what you think is best and you'll do what you want to do? Look at this passage. God forbid what? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is unto the Lord joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Three fornication! Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Now this seventh chapter, beloved, has a great many things in it. I think maybe I'll come back to it in just a moment, because I want to get across to my young people tonight some of the things that are revealed in this seventh chapter. They're just as clear as they can be. They're clearly revealed. But turn with me first over to the epistle to the Romans. And in the 13th chapter, in the 14th verse, the apostle's coming down to the close, and he says in verse 12, The night is far, far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, And let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering. Now that word's somewhat out of use today in our use of the English language, but you know that has to do with petting. That has to do with... uh, The scenes of a bedroom that has to do with the intimacies that take place in moments of such and wantonness and in strife and envying, Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. Oh, chambering, chambering. Let them moving into these areas and make not provision for the flesh. All right, now will you turn over to Galatians chapter 5, which is our passage tonight. You young people understand what I'm saying? Well, you're intelligent. Come on, let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Now what are the works of the flesh? Now the works of the flesh are these. Adultery, that's first, right off. Fornication, uncleanness, young people, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, harriance, hatred, variance, emulation, seditions, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Now, these are the works of the flesh. And the Lord says, Make no provision for the works of the flesh. Don't you put yourself in any condition or permission or place where the works of the flesh will arise, don't you not? Oh, but some of you come and say, but pastor, you don't understand. Our days are different. Things have changed with us. A young lady, a young man, God's law hasn't changed. God's standard of sin, by which you're going to be judged, has not changed. And furthermore, it never will change. And once you have become a child of God, and he takes possession of your body, then you're going to let the Spirit dwell in that body, and Christ is going to be in that body, and you're not going to permit that body in any way to become involved in these areas of sin. You're not going to do it. Now our own larger catechism, I'm getting to where I've been reading it a little bit because the United Presbyterian Church is getting rid of it. They're getting rid of it entirely. And I guess if you want to go to a church where you can have all these uh, uh, new modern and fangled ideas such as the jazz communion and all this other thing, you can go to the United Presbyterian Church and they'll take care of you. They're getting rid of this thing. All this is out of date. All this is going away. But notice what it says. What are the sins forbidden in the seventh commandment? The sins forbidden in the seventh commandment besides the neglect of the duties required are adultery, fornication, rape, incest, sodomy, and all unnatural lust. All of them. All of them. All unclean imaginations, thought, purposes, affection. You don't sit around and dream and imagine and carry on all sorts of things in your own mind, in your own heart, about this or about that, or about this girl or that woman or somebody else. That just isn't a part of what's inside of you since your body has become the temple of the Holy Ghost. All corrupt or filthy communication. All corrupt or filthy communication. It's gotten today almost where you can't turn around but you don't hear some filthy communication. Some expression of some word and these young people are writing them on the walls. Filthy things. And then you pick up these magazines, and then you get into what they call some of this modern literature. It's just filled with all kinds of vile, filthy language, and you read through it, and you read through it, and it gets in your heart, gets in your mind, and whether you like it or not, you become affected by it. And you can't justify it on the ground that, well, I'm reading some good literature. Oh, this confession of faith in our catechism says all corrupt and filthy communications by listening thereunto, wanton looks, impudent or light behavior, immodest apparel, many skirts. Unchaste company. Oh, you young girls, when your mother comes to you and she says to you, Mary, she says to you, honey, I think you better watch yourself. You oughtn't to go around with that crowd. You oughtn't to get mixed up with those girls. Listen to the way they talk. You oughtn't to be run with them. I don't want you to run with them. Unchaste company, lascivious songs, books, pictures, dancing, stage plays, and all other provocations to or acts of uncleanness either in ourselves or others. My, oh my, that's beautiful. God expects us to be clean. God expects us to be pure. God expects us to be a people in whom he dwells, and we're going to honor his name in our living and in our life and in our conduct. My how beautiful that is. Now will you turn with me back to Second Corinthians chapter seven. And in the seventh chapter, I want to get into some things here that I'm going to speak pretty plainly about, young people. You don't mind it and it's here, it's in the Bible. And I always love to have a good talk with the young couples that I marry, and you all know that it's the pastor's practice that they come and see. Among the passages in the Bible that I tell our young couples to read, this is one of them. Every young married couple ought to read this one. This is for them. Another one is the epistle to the Ephesians, the bride and the bridegroom, and all that we have there so beautifully set forth. Now concerning the things he wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, here's your new morality, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Now we're getting around to the divine purpose and the divine order and the way in which God has ordained these matters. God has ordained that one man shall live with one woman and that they shall produce a seed and that they shall live together until death parts them and that bond is not broken and not separated until death breaks it. Now God has ordained that. And may I say to the young people of this church, there's nothing more beautiful, there's nothing more wonderful, there's nothing more glorious in this Bible than this marriage bond and all that's involved in it for the birth of a family, for the establishment of a home, and for all that God has ordained in this sphere of our relationships. It is a beautiful and a glorious relationship. And God wants us to see it, and God wants us to prepare for it, and God wants us to to, to glorify him in it. Let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. And this we bring in with our marriage vows, to have and to hold and all the promises there. Now, verse 4 is the verse I want you to see the wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife. Now, the Lord says, I'm going to open up in my word some of these secrets and some of these mysteries. And when two lovely people come together in the bond of marriage it's the husband that has power over the woman and it's the woman that has power over the husband and in the intimate relationships which are ordained of God in this fear which are clean and which are holy and which are lawful and which are righteous you enter into a sphere here that the Bible says the wife hath not power over her body but the husband. And the husband doesn't have power over his body but the wife. Now, young girls, and now, young boys, you aren't married. And you get into these relationships and you begin these necking parties and these red-hot kissing parties. And you begin to get to handling one another and using your hands and getting into these relationships. The powers and the forces that God describes here in his word, which are reserved and preserved for the marriage bond, begin to assert themselves. And the first thing you know, some girl is pregnant and she says, I didn't intend to do it. And it's in that area that God is warning you and guarding you to protect. And girls, whatever you do, don't you go out with these boys and get in the back seats of a car and let them kiss you and fondle you until you lose control of yourself. God is describing that condition right here in this passage, and it runs through all of Holy Scripture. The wife hath not power over her own body but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power over his body but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. And here are the relationships of the marriage bond where Satan comes in. And right this minute, young people, our literature, our newspapers, all of these advertisements, all of these things which appeal to the eyes and to the lust of the flesh are designed to stimulate young men to make them more aggressive in their relationship toward girls. God says you beware of that. You stay out of that area. These things are reserved for the field where I've arranged for them to be used in glory and in honor and for the glory of God. Oh, young people, somebody ought to set you straight on these things. And you want to see them hearing the word of God because it's just as plain as anything can possibly be. Well, now let me go just a little further. I want to go just a little further. I know that many, many listening to me tonight, the flesh is so weak, and you've sinned. You've sinned. And when this happens, and you leave the church, when this happens, you drop out for something else. And you go and get deeper and deeper involved, and the first thing you know, you have just ruined your life and probably some other lives with it. I remember one night here, we had a great evangelistic committee, a campaign years ago, and Harvey Springer was here one night. Preached on the great text, Proverbs twenty eight thirteen. Will you turn to it? It's a great text. You'll never forget it. Book of Proverbs. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And when you get into sin, don't try to cover it up. Confess it to the Lord and you'll find mercy. And you get that great and wonderful passage in Corinthians where Paul says, And such were some of you, such were some of you, such were some of you, but you're washed, but you're cleansed, but you're sanctified by the Spirit of God. Yes, though your sins be as scarlet, they can be white like snow. Though they be red like crimson, they can be as white as wool. And no matter what the sin has been, you can come and ask God to forgive it and he will pardon you. And if you're the temple of the Spirit, and if you're living by faith, then you're dying under sin, and you don't even want to become engaged in this sort of thing. Folks, you, re- you revolt at filthy stories. You recoil at this kind of filthy language. And you don't want it about your house. You don't want it in your home. You don't want to spend your time uh, with, with such uh, uh, lustful things. But now while I've got into this subject, I'm going to take another three or four minutes and go a step further with you young people. Because I want you to see how the Lord intends all of these things to be for us. Could you turn with me over to Philippians? The last part of the epistle to the Philippians. And uh, the apostle is... Writing to the church there and he's gone through all these things. he says in verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You go, as your pastor travels so much and going around, you go to these airports and you go by the newsstand. You know what the biggest pile of, of magazines on every newsstand you go to today? Playboy magazine. Playboy magazine. Men just pick them up and carry them off by the hundreds and here they're going. What is it? They've always got one or two good pictures in there of a woman. It's almost naked, not quite. That's the thing. Our stands are just full of this thing. And it's this lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh that men are capitalizing on today in Look Magazine and Life Magazine to sell their goods. To sell their goods. And the Lord says, you think on those things that are pure. You think on those things which are of good report. And if there be any virtue, spend your time with these things. Don't spend your time with these things which corrupt blessed are the pure in heart right at the beginning of the beatitudes blessed are the pure in heart and you can't say the lord's prayer without running into that petition lead us not into temptation Lord, don't let me put myself in a position. Don't let me find myself in a place where temptation is going to come upon me and I'm going to be in a situation where I may be too weak and I may fall. And I, Lord, don't let me get into these temptations. And young people, you listen to your mothers and you listen to your fathers. And frankly, I'll tell you very, very frankly, these young people that are telling us here that they want some of this uh, sex education in the public schools are asking for it so they'll know how to enjoy these sex licenses and abortions and venereal diseases. And if they can just get all the information given to them, then they'll know how far they can go and how safe they can be. Beloved, I want to say to you people and every last one of you tonight, I don't think it's the business of the public schools to get into this area because when they get into this area with whatever information they have to give, they do not accompany it with the moral sanction that you have in the Word of God. And it is the moral sanction, it is the moral condemnation, it is the moral standard which is absent and which you get from this pulpit and which you receive from the word of God. Oh, beloved, this Bible is the most blessed book that you have to read. It's to be our rule, our faith, our practice. And God tells us about our Bible and about our bodies and about his spirit and how we're to be clean and how we're to serve him. And somebody comes along and says, well, everybody's reading it. I've got to read to know how to get along with them. Bless your soul, you don't have to read. Somebody says, but everybody's reading it. I've got to read them so I can know how to win them to Christ. Beloved, you don't have to go out and run with the ways of sinners or engage in the things that they enjoy in order to win them to Christ. You don't go out and commit adultery to win an adulterer. You don't go out and read the filthy books that they read in order to win them to Christ. Reading their filth has nothing to do with the power of God in regenerating their souls. And the thing that will save the sinner, the thing that will reach the young people in our land tonight, is not your accommodation to their filth. It's your holding up before them the law of God which condemns that filth and makes them sinners and convicts their hearts of their iniquity and then they're ready to listen to Jesus Christ. That's it. Time Magazine devoted its man of the year to the 25-year-olds and under. It came out this week and I was very much interested in reading it. And of course it shows all this Sex looseness, which is developing, but they come here. Those who believe something can be done are, however, turning away from traditional areas of commitment, such as religion. Harvard based Lutheran chaplain Paul Santmeyer, 29, finds that these kids have been fed a milk toast gospel in a modern world. They view religion with a certain anthropological sophistication, yet they are past Nietzsche because they really would like to believe something. Oh, these 25-year-olds and youngers are going to these modernist churches and those modernist schools and these modernist seminaries and they've got a milk-toast religion. It's just sort of a little social action program or something else. And they haven't had presented to them the law of God. And the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Young people, if you were busy serving the Lord, you wouldn't have time for this filth. If you were busy in the things of Jesus Christ, witnessing, working, building yourself up, edifying yourself in the great and mighty things that concern the law of God and his majesty, this sort of thing would be repulsive and offensive to you. And furthermore, once you get over on the territory and stand on the ground where I stand tonight, it becomes more offensive and more offensive and more offensive as the years go by. Because you're growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Oh, these standards are here. And they're in the life of the church, and they're in the blessed book, and they're in the standards of our confession. And here we are trying to hold them up, and then we get into problems. And some of us think we're smarter than the Bible. Some of us think we're smarter than the Holy Spirit. And some others think we're just a little bit wiser in these matters, and we can handle the problems in our day, our way, and we'll come out all right. You're just a big, unadulterated fool when you talk like that. You're not wiser and smarter than God. You're not wiser and smarter than the devil. And you can't be. Now, I know a sermon like this will provoke a great many questions, but I've given you the outline of Scripture. But you remember, these are the lines. We bind ourselves to them. And then in God's providence, there's death. Death. And in God's providence, some girl never gets married. In God's providence, something else takes place. And in these various providential positions, the lines are here. We honor them in truth. And God gives grace and God gives blessing. And God takes care of every one of us in the place where he's put us in his providence. And we find our grace and our strength there. You know why I can preach like this? It's the Bible. Why I can preach like this? Because Jesus Christ is the one who comes in to forgive and to unite and to bless. Let us pray. Our Father blessed this great message tonight on these matters. And we know that nothing would please the old communist world than to see the morals of the youth of America destroyed. And to see our homes shattered. And oh God tonight We thank you for the standards that you've set and that we're able to see them and read them in this blessed book. God bless the young families and the young people of this church and may we stay close to the Bible. For Christ's sake, amen.